love this psalm. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. I tell you, it would be good for us to learn about the secret place sometimes, wouldn't it? To dwell in the secret place of the Most High. And I'll tell you what, I, I'll tell you, if we could ever learn the value of the secret place, to be able to dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, and to say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. We can run to Him in times of need, can't we? And then we can use Him as our fortress, not just the refuge, but as a fortress. We can attempt to do God's work and God's power, and He goes before us. The Bible says, the psalmist said, He has beset me behind and before. He goes in front of us, preparing the way. He goes behind us, protecting and guarding. And Oh, what a joy it is to know that we have a Savior like that. To know that He's my God. And that's the amazing thing. Sometimes I think we think of God as this big universal God of everybody, and He is. But the sweetest part of Him is He's my God. And if you're saved this morning, you can say He's my God. And we can dwell in that secret place and rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I like that little time that Moses wanted to see God. And God had told him, he said, no man's ever seen me and lived. Moses stayed after him and stayed after him. And God finally puts him in the cleft of the rock and covers him with a hand and he passes by. And he told Moses, he said, you'll see my hinder parts. And just that brief exposure to the glory of God so affected Moses that when he came down off the mountain, he had to wear a dark veil because the Shekinah glory of God was so on him. I'm reminded of the disciples that after they had been with Jesus, they went out among some other folks, and the Bible says this about them. They took note that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could dwell in the secret place of the Most High in such a way that when we went about town, people would say, there's somebody that's been with Jesus. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. I hope and pray this morning that we love Him as much as we possibly can. I I reminded my uncle, I've shared this many times here, But my uncle told me one time, he said that as often as he can remember on days that he has with with my aunt, he says, I tell her, I love you more than I did yesterday, but not as much as I'll love you tomorrow. And I think often of that when it comes to our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say to him, Lord, I love you more today than I did yesterday, but not as much as I'm going to love you tomorrow. And I believe the Christian life ought to be continually falling in love with the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. You say, I've never experienced a joy like that or a love like that. Can I tell you this? God sure loves you. And He wants nothing more in this world than for you to experience that. And if you're here this morning and you say, Brother Greg, I'm saved. I know I've been saved. I've trusted Christ as my Savior, but I sure don't have that kind of joy then maybe as Christians we could pray like the psalmist did and say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Oh, by the way, I'll tell you, he would do it too. 
We take time to meditate and think on who He is, and we can't help but rejoice, can we? And I thank Him for that. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning, if you will, to Acts chapter 12. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah. We're going to depart from that today for at least one service, and perhaps we'll be able to come back to it again next Sunday. But uh, I was listening to a friend of mine that uh, preaches, and he preached on the topic of prayer and I was stirred this week in my own prayer life and the the fact that it needs to be improved. Isn't it amazing that there's a few things in the Christian life that no matter how far you think you've come in it, there's room for improvement? And I'll tell you this, it holds true in the area of our prayer lives, doesn't it? doesn't matter how far we've come in the area of prayer. I was doing a series on prayer several years ago, and as I got up to pray before the service... I was getting into the, the prayer, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of praying, it was almost like God smote my heart and said, Greg, your prayer life is weak. It's weak. It's anemic. You use phrases that are the, the acceptable phrases in praying all the time, and there's no substance to your prayers. And I'm going to tell you something. God broke my heart. I'll tell you, I've never had a prayer life any more effective than I have since that time. But I'll tell you this, there's room for improvement. There's room for improvement. I remember the very first time I can remember God answering a specific prayer. I was at college and I needed to buy a textbook and didn't have the funds for it. And I began praying for it. This was in September. My birthday is towards the end of October. And... um, I remember thinking I had a certain amount of time to get that book and I was going to be in trouble in class. And I I went out to the lake that night before and I just sat down on a bench and I said, Lord, I know I'm here because you've brought me here. And you've provided for everything so far, but I said, I'm lacking this textbook and you know I need it. And I was that specific and that direct with God. I went to my mailbox that night and opened it up half expecting there to be money in there for the textbook. And guess what? There wasn't any money in there. And I went to the class the next morning deflated and discouraged, and I thought, boy, I'm, I'm just not going to get it. And I don't remember which hour I was supposed to have the book by, but right before that class, I thought, I'm going to go back and check my mailbox one more time. And I went back to my mailbox, and there was one letter in the mailbox. I shared it with three other people, and then before I even pulled it out, I knew that was my answer. I pulled the envelope out, and I opened it up, and there's a birthday card from my sister two months early with a check in it saying, Boo, I don't know why. That's what she called me, Boo. She said, I don't know why. But she said, I saw this birthday card the other day and thought of you. Two months early. She doesn't even send me a birthday card on my birthday. Never had before, never has since. But that year she sent me a birthday card two months early with a check in it for exactly what I needed. And I went out to the lake that day. And I thought, thank you, Lord. It's not because of the money But boy, that did a world of good for me. To know that God heard me and answered my prayer. That it wasn't about the college and it wasn't about all the students that were there. But it was about me. God was concerned about me. And I don't know about you, but to me the small things are the ones that are so special. You kind of half expect God to do the big things. He's God. When he does those small things, well, I'll tell you, there's times it's just precious, isn't it? 
The Bible talks of times that He lets us sit in heavenly places. We get to experience a little bit of heaven on earth. And when we begin to recognize those things and we look full in the face of God, I believe we get to experience some of those things. We get to Acts chapter number 12 and we find a story here of uh, Peter who is getting ready to be put to death. Now, Peter was one of the more famous apostles at this time. He was pastoring the church in Jerusalem and James had just been put to death by Herod and found out that the people kind of liked that. So Herod thought, well, if it worked for James, we'll do it with Peter too. And so he goes and he arrests Peter. We'll pick up reading in verse number 5 of chapter 12. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping. Boy, doesn't that speak volumes to his faith? Between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands, and the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And they said, and then said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, They were astonished. Father, we pray this morning that you'll bless the message. Lord, work on our hearts. We don't need another message with three points in a poem this morning. We need a touch from you. Lord, I need it. And I know that there are those that came into the church house this morning hurting, burdened, and needing a touch from you. Father, there are some that have come in here cold and distant. Their relationship and walk with You has tapered off and grown calloused. That need a touch from You this morning. Father, I pray that as we preach the truth from Your Word, that You will open its uh, truth vividly to us. That we'll see it clearly and plainly and that your Holy Spirit will enable our hearts to grasp it. 
and to hold on to it and to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us in this area of praying. Father, there's no other action in the Christian life that moves you any more than prayer. There's no other grace that you've given to us that gives us more victory in our Christian lives than this thing of prayer. Father, there's no doubt in our hearts and in our minds that we are strengthened and enabled to do your work only through prayer. I pray that you would help and enable us this morning to do rightly by your word and this truth and this passage. And that your Holy Spirit will draw our hearts closer to you. And Father, where needed, I pray that it will reprove us. Where needed, I pray that it will edify and build us up and strengthen us. And Father, if we need correction, I pray that you would correct us. And Father, we like some of that more than we like the other parts of that, but Lord, all of it is needful for us. I pray that you would allow us to open our hearts and yield our minds to you for the next few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin reading in verse number 5. We find that Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Boy, what a mouthful. There's so much truth in just one verse of Scripture here. So we find that Peter was finding himself in a valley. And by the way, there are times that God puts us there, doesn't he? He does that for his own purposes. I was sharing with the young people this morning the story of Abraham and Isaac and how God had asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. And I made the comment to them as we began to discuss it that God was never after Isaac. God was after Abraham. And God wanted Abraham's heart. And it's amazing to me because we understand that God is an all-knowing God, don't we? And if God knows everything, then He already knows what our needs are before we ask Him, doesn't He? Why then do we pray? Is this some great benefit to an Almighty God that you and I begin to pray to Him? Is this something that helps Him as God? No. No, because God is all-sufficient. God is in need of nothing. The only conclusion that I can come up with and that you could come up with today on why God wants us to pray and why God commands us to pray is for our good and for our sake. And that it would draw us closer to His heart. In preparing for the message this morning, I was reminded of the Old Testament tabernacle and later on the temple. And God had given instruction for the outer court to be an area for folks that could come into the the general court courtyard of the of the temple and then our tabernacle and then later on the temple courtyard but there was a place in both of those that was reserved for just the high priest only one person could go into that place it was called the holy of holies and in the holy of holies was the presence of god in the holy of holies sat the mercy seat of god And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the sacrifice of the people from the outer court as he had washed himself and purified himself and prepared himself to enter into the very presence of God Himself. 
He would take that blood and he would back in through the curtain, the veil that was there to keep those from the outer court from being exposed to the presence of God in such a way that it would have destroyed them. He backs into the holy of holies. And the people outside the veil are listening. They're listening to the bells on the fringe of his robe as he walks backwards towards the holy seat. He takes that blood and he begins to sprinkle it on the holy, the mercy seat of God. As long as the bells were sounding, they knew that all was well. And then the day of Calvary comes. Can you imagine it? I mean, people who had put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ watched Him hang on the cross and die for men's sins. Even His own disciples didn't fully understand, did they? For on the Mount of Transfiguration, if you remember the story, Jesus even tells them after, after Moses and Elijah depart from there and the great cloud comes over to, to obscure everybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus Christ prophesied of His death and His resurrection. And the Bible says that the disciples did not understand the same. The day of Calvary comes, three days and three nights in the grave. And then that glorious morning... When the stone was rolled away and Jesus Christ led captivity captive. He raises them up from the place that was called paradise and leads them out of there. The victory over death and hell and the grave had been won. And the Bible says that in that hour as the resurrection, as the crucifixion took place, that the veil of that temple that divided the outer courthouse from the Holy of Holies was rent in twain, and I like what the Bible says. It says that it was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And I've heard people preach on this. But I thought about that this week as I was thinking about God giving us access to Him. You know, it was always God's plan for that. For us to walk with Him daily. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, when the Bible says in chapter 2, when Adam and Eve had sinned, That they made fig leaves and they went and hid themselves in the garden. The Bible says that the voice of God came walking. It's interesting that it was the voice of God that came walking in the cool of the day. I believe this was God's habit. This was God's manner of every day. That was His schedule to come and commune with Adam and Eve. To walk in their presence. Could you imagine walking in the presence of Almighty God Himself? It was God's desire throughout all of history, from the beginning of man, that you and I would have direct access to Him. And because of sin, and because of His holiness, sin separated us from Him for a time, didn't it? And God was so anxious on that day of Calvary to have access with you and I once again, that He reaches over the portals of heaven and He takes that veil and He rips it in half, opens it wide up and says, come on in to the throne. Can you imagine the first thought of those priests as they looked in and for the very first time saw the mercy seat of God? Hebrews chapter 5 tells us, Come boldly unto the throne of grace that you may find mercy and help in time of trouble. This thing of prayer. It would do us well to realize and understand what has happened for you and I To have the greatest privilege of the Christian life. It took the sacrifice of God's own Son 
but it gives us all of the resources of God Himself. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that we could think of in this life that if we prayed for it, God would have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Can't think of one. For God is able, isn't He? And God invites us as His children come into the throne of grace. Come into this thing that I've given you that you don't deserve. The throne of grace. Would we ever be arrogant enough to think that God owes us the opportunity to come to Him? I'm reminded of Esther when she went into the king without him bringing his staff toward her. She just had to put herself in the hands of the king. I'm thankful today that Jesus has already extended the scepter. And He's already said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. We go through life burdened, going through trials and difficulties. We go through mountaintop experiences of great, great victory in our lives. And can I tell you this, through every single one of them, God wants us in His presence. The Bible says it this way, pray without ceasing. You say, Pastor, I'm going through a valley. God wants your presence. I'm not going through a whole lot right now, Pastor. I'm, I'm just, God's given me the victory. Can I tell you, God wants your presence. How do you know that? Because in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodiceans, the lukewarm church, you remember the one that God said, I word thou wert hot or cold, but because thou art lukewarm, I want to spew thee out of my mouth. You know, this lukewarm church that we so often preach and criticize against, can I tell you this? You know, if you'll read Revelation chapter 3, God says, I still love you, though. I still love you. And what does it say to the church at Laodicea? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. You mean, Brother Greg, even lukewarm people, God wants their presence? Absolutely. That's the kind of God He is. Peter's in a fix. The Bible says this in verse number 5. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him. I want to show you several things very quickly about prayer, and, I, and we'll be done. And I, I want to just encourage you in this. No matter what the points are this morning, don't miss this. God wants your presence. He wants your presence. The Bible says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. John Bunyan said it this way, you can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. Oh, that we would learn to pray. The disciples came to Christ and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us to be soul winners at this point. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to give the way that we ought to. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
We've read the story how that God miraculously delivers Peter. And I want you to look with me, if you will, in chapter 12, verse number 10. The Bible says, When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. And notice this in verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself... He said, now of a surety, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod. I want you to notice that the Bible says in verse number 11 that Peter came to himself. And can I say this, that there are times that we may not be vividly aware of what God is doing in our lives. We may see things from a completely different perspective. And can I tell you this, that everything that God allows into our lives requires consideration. We've got to come to a point where we realize that that's God working in our life. Peter didn't understand what was happening here, and he did not, certainly did not realize that God was at work. He thought it to be some vision or something that was something that was not to be expected. The Bible says that Peter finally came to himself. Can I tell you this? That There are times in our lives that we look at it and we say, I don't think God's had any part in it. We need to stop for a few moments and consider. And pray that God will help us to come to ourselves. And realize His effective hand at work in our life. Prayer helps us to have clear vision, doesn't it? No longer do we focus on the problems, but we focus on the God of the problems. No longer do we seek for our own wisdom or the wisdom of our friends and men, but we now seek for the wisdom of God. And by the way, we're in a world today that is in dire straits for God's people to seek for His power and wisdom. We've tried for far too long to do it our way. We even do our churches this way. We take surveys and we try to figure out what people want in a church and try to cater our church to fit people. May I tell you this, we ought to take God's Word and help people conform their life by being transformed by the Word of God. Peter came to himself, and I think it would do you and I well as we come to the Lord in prayer to say, Lord, help me to come to myself. Help me to see these things. Help me to know that you're actively at work in my life. And when he had considered the thing in verse number 12, he came to the house of Mary. Can I say this? When you're a house of prayer, people know where to come, don't they? You ever had a friend call you and say, I've heard about the praying of that church that you go to. Would you ask them to pray for us? You ever had that happen? I know that you're a man of prayer, a woman of prayer. Would you be praying for us? I'm talking about people maybe who don't even know the Lord as their Savior. They know if we're people of prayer or not, don't they? Oh, that we would be a people of prayer. We would seek for God earnestly. I like what is said here as he gets to verse number 12. And when, many, when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. And look at this. If you have a pen, you ought to underline this. Where many were gathered. You know, no great work of God has ever happened in this world without there being a unity of mind 
and a unity of prayer. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Is that what the Bible teaches? To agree as touching anything, the Bible says God will give it to them. A unity of heart, a unity of mind, a unity of prayer. It's a shame that when churches have prayer meetings, it's the least attended service of the week. Can I submit something to you this morning? I believe it ought to be the greatest attended service of the week. For it is by the prayer that God is stirred to move in a church. Not through its visitation efforts. Not through its song programs. But through prayer. It ought to be the most attended service of the week when pastor gets up and says we're going to have a prayer time. We're going to have a meeting of prayer. The Bible says that many were gathered together in verse number 12. They weren't fellowshipping. They weren't drinking coffee and having pie. The Bible says that they were gathered together what? Praying. We know that there were men and women at this prayer meeting, don't we? You may say, well, I'm just a young person. Well, so was Rhoda. Just a young damsel, the Bible says. Just a young person. What can I do? You can pray. You can pray fervently. I'm just a lady in the church. What can I do? You can pray. I'm just a man sitting in the pews of the church. What can I do? You can pray. And I want you to notice that when many get together and they pray fervently, and God brings an answer, oh, what an answer it is. We're talking about something miraculous that's happened here. You don't need to raise your hand this morning, but I wonder how many around the room this morning have experienced God miraculously answering prayer. I'm reminded a couple of weeks ago of Miss Rita Waymeyer who went in the hospital for a heart attack. They went in to do the procedure and the doctor said there was something there, but when we went in, it was gone. What a mighty God we serve. God worked a miraculous event in Peter's life. So much so, and I want you to notice this, that even those that were gathered together praying did not believe when Rhoda came to them and said the answer is right outside the gate. They said, oh no, that must be his angel. Peter's already dead. Or he's in prison. That must be his spirit. And I like what the Bible says here because it convicts our hearts and shows us our lack of faith. In verse number 16, the Bible says, But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Why is it that you and I are astonished when God answers miraculously? Could it be that we lack faith in our praying? Praying? For you see, praying by faith is not just believing that God can do something, but it's believing that God will do something. As we look at the lives of the disciples, how many times do we find in Scripture God coming to them and saying, Oh, ye of little faith. 
Those that walked hand in hand with God Himself in human form. Those that saw the miracles. Those that saw Him pray and take five loaves and two fishes and turn them into a meal for 5,000 men. Those that saw Him heal the lame and the blind and the lepers. They were standing there as Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And watched as a dead man came from the grave. And Jesus called them, O ye of little faith. When we pray, do we expect God to answer? I'll tell you this, He doesn't always answer the way we want Him to. Or the way we expect Him to. But He always answers. And why is it that we become astonished by that? Why is it that so often prayer is the afterthought? I've tried not to use the phrase anymore in my life for several years now, but I used to say, and I'm sure I've heard others say it too, that when someone came to me with a need, I'd say, well, I wish I could do more, but at least I can pray. Why do we look at prayer that way? For that's the greatest thing I could do for them. When a missionary comes to our church and hands out prayer cards, we almost look at it as our way out. Well, brother, we'll be praying for you. I'm not, not going to give you my money, and, but we're, we're going to be praying for you. And we walk home that night relieved. Got out of that one. Can I tell you this? What that missionary needs more than any other thing is our prayers. More than any other thing. We're not relieved of that responsibility. We're committed to it. This thing of prayer, what would happen? What would happen if we doubled our prayer time? I don't know how much time you spend in prayer. When I talk about this kind of praying, I'm not talking about what we do at the dinner table or in our daily devotion time. I'm talking about the times that we just get along with God. We pour our hearts out to Him. What would happen if we doubled our prayer time? Do you think God would work more than that? What if we tripled it? I love reading about great revivals. One of the great revivals in history was the Great Welsh Revival started by a man by the name of Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts, from the time he was a teenager, would wake up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and begin pleading with God that he would send revival. For years he attended services and some of them he spoke in and no response and no result until one day in a youth revival a young teenage girl stood up in the back and with tears streaming down her face simply said this, I love God with all of my heart and sat back down. And God opened the windows of heaven and revival came. Because a young man got up 
for years at two or three in the morning and prayed for God to send revival. I've shared so many times the story of Daniel Nash, affectionately known as Father Nash, who went around with Charles Finney and would many times go two or three weeks ahead of Charles Finney in the revival services and rent a room in the city. And he and one other or two other companions, usually a man by the name of Abel Clary, would give themselves to prayer. And they would wrestle in prayer and they would agonize in prayer. So much so that there were times that people had to walk into the room and physically pick up Daniel Nash or Abel Clary and place them on the bed for rest because they were so spent and exhausted from praying that they had no physical strength of their own. And that's why when Charles Finney preached for four weeks in Rochester, New York, 100,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior. He did this for seven years, and when Daniel Nash passed away within three months, Charles Finney took a pastorate in Oberlin because he said the revivals are over. What made the difference? Prayer. Prayer. I'd love to see God do a work in Keith Heights Baptist Church that was unexplainable short of prayer. To where when we get done looking at what God had done, there's no other answer than God did it through the prayers of His people. Do we long for people to be saved in Festus and Jefferson County? Oh, absolutely. Do we need God's strength and God's power on our service more than ever. Where will it come? It will only come from prayer. How much do we want it? How much do we long for God to do that kind of a work? Oh, that we would become a people of prayer. You say, Brother Greg, I already give myself to prayer and I am dedicated to prayer. Can I tell you this? Prayer is the one area of our life that we can always do more in. That we always need improvement in. Let's stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, a great miracle was worked in this particular instance. Father, we need to be able to see your hand at work, to realize that you're a God, not only that will that can do these things, but a God that will do these things. Lord, even Peter himself didn't fully understand that you were able until he came to himself and realized that you had actually done this. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be known as a people of prayer. I pray that you would allow this church and its people become so powerful and mighty in prayer that your hand is never hindered from doing what it wants to do. That your Holy Spirit is never quenched in a service 
and an outreach program of this church that the Holy Spirit would have free course to do what He longs to do. Father, may we seek for Your presence and Your power in our lives. May we give ourselves to effectual and fervent praying. Father, I believe there are others in this room as I that long to see Your mighty hand at work. Not just to go through the motions of attending a church, being a member of it, but Father, that we would see Your hand mightily at work, doing a great work. Father, may we pray for that end. Lord, if there's someone here that does not know You as their Savior, Their greatest need this morning would be to trust You as their Savior this morning. I pray that during the invitation time that You would help their hearts to be drawn. They would see that need. That they would step out into an aisle and come forward and allow us to take Your Word and show them how they could be saved this morning. And Father, there ought to be a whole multitude of Christians that would come and say, Lord, I want to give myself to prayer. This area of my life, I want to rededicate it to you. Father, bless the time that we've spent here this morning. May we leave here and not soon forget the truth of your word. And that your Holy Spirit will do his work in our hearts as we have the invitation time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'll have Miss Evelyn just play through a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, Our altars are open. And if you need to do business with God, you're welcome to do that. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be glad to come pray with you. Otherwise, you can come and pray and do business with the Lord yourself. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. Can I urge you and encourage you this morning to allow us to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved today? I would promise you this. I will never embarrass you. But we would sure love to rejoice in that decision with you today. As she plays and the invitation is open, would you come? Thank you. You may be seated for just a moment. Let me just mention, as we've said several times, our invitations here never end. If you need to pray with somebody after the service, please find us. We'll be glad to take an opportunity to pray and uh, spend whatever time is necessary with you. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for being with us. We've certainly enjoyed having you here and want to encourage you to come back and visit with us again. We want to take just a few moments to take a love offering for Brother Steve Primo and certainly appreciate him coming and uh, sharing in song. I don't know about you, but those songs blessed my heart this morning. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like scriptural, biblical songs that stir the soul. 
and they certainly did that this morning, and I thank him for the opportunity to come and, and be a part of our service and for thinking of us. And so let's uh, uh, pray for him as he goes, but also let's give to his ministry and try to be a help to him. And so let's, uh, Brother Larry, if you'll come on forward, and I don't know if someone else can grab another offering plate there and help us with that. And uh, there we go. Pardon me? No, you can just play, play that. I'm a little bit leery in saying this, but Brother Steve will be over at Second Baptist tonight. But don't all of you go rushing over there just to hear him again. <laughs> Let's be faithful in our church, okay? But he will be over there tonight and uh, pray for him as he goes. Brother Larry, if you would lead us in prayer for the offering.